Today we're going to do something maybe a little more, a little more traditional, something like that. Um, gonna gonna pull out a parable of Jesus and talk about it. Um, and so the parable is one of my favorites. Uh, definitely one of the most famous uh, parables in uh, in the Gospels. Uh, it's the parable that we usually call the parable of the prodigal son. Um, but We'll, we'll get into why there's a lot of other names that it could have and uh, as, as we go along here. Um, why did he spend all his money on the Lord's prodigal son? What's that? Why did he spend all his money so he inherited it? Well, you, I think he was having a good time at yeah. the time. Yeah. He was having a party. Yeah. 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 Um, so. Something like me, when I got money, I like to have a good time. Well, yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. can get you into trouble sometimes, for sure, but it's a good thought. Um, so this is, for, for anyone, if they care to follow along, it's in uh, Luke 16, verse 11. Um, and so, so the setup for all of this is this, uh, I'll try not... I can often give so much context that I forget to talk about the thing itself, so I'll try not to do that. Um, but the context here is basically Jesus has been doing his ministry thing, which is going around teaching and preaching, announcing the kingdom of God, and spending all his time generally hanging out with and eating with uh, the undesirable people of his uh, world and society. Uh, and uh, kind of getting into like religious uh, arguments with uh, people called the Pharisees uh, and other people called scribes. And so the, the context here is um, all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, and the Pharisees and scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so he told them, and he, so he told them this parable, and then he goes into a parable about uh, a shepherd who has a hundred sheep and one of them goes missing and he leaves the other 99 to go find the one lost sheep. Uh, this person um, this person would clearly fail uh, their commerce degree. This isn't how thing, this isn't how economics is supposed to work. Um, this is uh, yeah clearly clearly a failure on that front. Um, and then there's a woman and 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 the uh, the and uh, calls for, for all of his uh, friends and relatives to celebrate with him the, the return of the lost sheep. And then there's another parable of the lost coin, and, and the, the shepherd seeking after the lost one is supposed to be sort of like a figure of, of God in this parable. And, uh, and then the second one of the three is the parable of the lost coin, which is a woman who has ten coins, loses one. Again, she goes all out searching for this one lost coin, when she finally finds it, she calls for her friends to celebrate with her for what was lost is now found. And uh, interestingly, this is one of the, uh, the images that Jesus provides that, uh, that the, the God, uh, who he calls his father, that here he uses uh, female imagery for God. And this one often kind of gets lost in the shuffle. We talk about the shepherd, and then we talk about the... Uh, the father in the parable of the prodigal son, which is also maybe like the parable of the lost son, because this is a 
trilogy about somebody seeking out lost things, a sheep, a coin, and a son. So it's, a, it's kind of like a, a trilogy of parables that are all about something being lost and an extravagant seeking after the thing that was lost. And so the third one, though, is, is the fullest and best known, and it's the parable. Uh, interestingly, the, um, the New Revised Standard Version that I read from, they often have the little sort of titles breaking up all the sections. It calls it uh, the parable of the prodigal and his brother. So then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. Um, interestingly here, uh, I'm not like a Greek scholar or anything, but I know I know, uh, I, I like to read people who, who nerd out on some of the Greek stuff. And um, so what, what it says here, Father, give me the share of the property. Uh, the, the word there for property is, is a usia or uisia or something like that. Uh, I, I should have this written down to be proper, but... Um, that, that word is not only for like possessions and ownership, but it's actually the, the Greek technical term for being, for like just something existing in the first place. So, Father, give me the share of your being, so like your very essence that will belong to me. And so he divided his property, and now that second word that gets translated here as property is, uh, is Zoe, life. And so he divided his life between them. And so there's, there's a certain sense here that this is about more than just possessions. This is about deep, fundamental reality, the essence, the stuff that we're made of. And somehow the father is dividing the stuff that he's made of amongst his sons here. Um, so, so it goes deeper than just possessions. Um, a few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to the citizens of the country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? And here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard the music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he's got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. 
But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him? Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. Um, and so, this is a story about unexpected reactions, about abundant goodness and mercy in a father that is completely unexpected. Uh, we don't really have a very good cultural sense comparing our culture to this. This sounds like, yeah, this sounds like a pretty good guy. He was like pretty good to his son here, much better than he needed to be. Um, we don't have a sense of how deeply shocking uh, this would have been to the people uh, listening to Jesus in his context. Uh, this would have been uh, offensive. Uh, the, the hearers of this would have reacted much like the older brother. I can't believe you're saying crap like this. Uh, this, is a, this level of um, goodness is offensive to us. Um, and so, so I'm going to try and get into it. Because Jesus is clearly saying to the scribes and the Pharisees, you're acting, you are acting like, um, you are acting like the older brother here. You are mad at good being done to those you think don't deserve it. Right? So that's kind of like the framing context here. Um, because uh, one of the, because the situation going on in first century Palestine here is that um, the, the nation of Israel has long since been conquered for, for hundreds and hundreds of years by this power, by that power. Uh, they came back from Babylonian exile. They sort of like did okay for a little while, but then they got conquered by the Greeks. And then they sort of had a little uprising, kicked the Greeks out for a little bit, and then they got conquered by the Romans. Now they've been living under Roman occupation. They do not control their lives, and they believe... The, the, the whole context of theological debates at this time is largely what do we need to do, or like why do we not own our land, and what do we need to do to get God to favor us again so that we can kick out the Romans? Um, and so the, the answer, particularly of the Pharisees, is we need to really double down and observe Torah. We need to observe the law and be good observers of the law in order that God will favor us. It is because we have not been vigilant in keeping the law that God allowed us to be conquered, and he will restore us if we, if we do the right thing, if we are good and upright, and that we, we, you know, we shun lawbreakers uh, like t you know, tax collectors and prostitutes and all the bad people that Jesus is hanging out with. They're the scum of the earth. They're the reason we're in this mess. If we can just get rid of all of them and get all of us to be good, observant Jews, God's going to come in and he's going to be mighty for us and kick out the Romans. Uh, so this is like the working framework of the Pharisees at this time and in this context. And so Jesus coming in and saying that the love of the Father is 
boundless and no respecter of who is a good person, who is a good law-abiding citizen, and who is a wasteful uh, sinner, uh, that, 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 that God's mercy and goodness seems to be revealed first to sinners and bad people and rule breakers and, and lawbreakers, this is very uh, deeply offensive to them. Um, and, and, and to really drive home the point, like this would have been like a level of uh, very visceral disgust, uh, particularly, like, so firstly, when, when, the younger, when the younger brother says, I mean, this, the younger brother has it tough because he's the younger brother. He's not going to inherit as much from his father. Uh, there was a law that the, the eldest brother got a double share of the inheritance. So since there's just two of them, basically the older brother would have gotten two-thirds of the father's estate, and he would have gotten one-third. But he's impatient. He doesn't want to wait for his father to die. He doesn't have the best prospects. And he's like, I want to get on with my life right now. So, hey, father, give me my one-third, and I'm going to blow this joint and go do my thing. Um, the, the level... And so, so a lot of people have said this is essentially wishing that his wishing that his father was dead. And so this is particularly offensive because, like the, you know, it's it's breaking the fifth commandment. He's not honoring his father. Uh, honor your father and mother, so that it may well go well for you in the land. Is the fifth commandment of the ten commandments uh, given given to Israel. And so he's breaking that commandment. Not only that, it's actually almost a bit like dark comedy because. This is a world that's called uh, that's operating under a principle called the patriarchy, and in the patriarchy, the the son, until he leaves his father's household, and it's clear here that he's still in his father's household, is that he's actually a property of his father. He's he's not his own person. He's property of his father, and so this is property asking for property. So it's almost like a bit of a bit of a kind of like black joke that way. Uh, and so the father would have been well within his rights with a, with a disobedient son. Um, like these, these uh, folks, and particularly the scribes and the Pharisees, they, they would have had basically most of the Torah memorized. They would have been able to call it up to memory because uh, writing was very difficult and time-consuming and expensive. So you, you didn't uh, read texts. You recited them to each other, you memorized it, it was more uh, of an oral culture. And so they would have seen some of these uh, allusions here. So, and and one, of the, one of the contexts here is there's a passage back in Deuteronomy, uh, Deuteronomy 21, talking, and this is actually just after the laws of inheritance, and it says in uh, Deuteronomy 21, verse 18, and again, these are the laws that the Pharisees and the scribes believe that they need to observe so that they can kick out the Romans, that, that God will uh, come and vindicate them. It says, if someone has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey his father and mother, who does not heed them when they discipline him, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his town at the gate of that place. They shall say to the elders of this town, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the town shall stone him to death. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel will hear and be afraid. And so you can see the resonances from that with the story of this prodigal son, this lost son. It's clear that this is how he should be handled in keeping with the law. And Jesus is saying, the Father firstly gives into the request, Sure, ask of me and I will 
and I will and I will give to you. That's already alarming enough. And then he goes and wastes it, and isn't called before uh, isn't called before the, the the whole town and taken outside the town and stoned as he should be. Um, not only that, um, with the, the the next thing that happens is he winds up being jealous of the feed of the the, the pigs that he's feeding. And again, for Jews, pigs are uh, uh, not kosher; they're not allowed to eat pigs. And so again, this is a very like. He, this guy's not only around pigs; he's feeding them. He's he's in the in the mess with the pigs. He's even envying the pigs. This is just this would have been at a very like gut visceral level, just offensive and disgusting to the people who are hearing this. That this son is this debased. That this son is this much of exact. This is the kind of stuff that's wrong with the world. I mean. You know, in, in, in terms of in terms of like old cranks who like to say that something is causing doom and gloom, you might compare this a bit to, to all the things that millennials are killing today. <laughs> millennials are, are, are killing many things, according to cranky commentators. And it's just this sense of this is everything that is wrong with the world. And so, so this son, though, coming to realize... Um, I mean, to realize that, 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 that he's done wrong, he, he comes to his senses and says, well, hey, my father treats even his slaves pretty well. If I can get him to take me back at that level, I'll be doing pretty good, a lot better than I'm doing right now. And so, and so from his perspective on the way home, and I think, you know, I think we've all been here when we realize that some kind of relationship isn't right in our life, and we know we've got to go have a conversation with this person, and we're filled with shame. And you can just hear the shame she's rehearsing, right? When you're when you're going to somebody, and you need to maybe ask them for forgiveness or confess that you've done something awful, uh, and that you really realize that you have. And he's just saying, "I have sinned against heaven, and you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired hands. Put me at this low level. Take me. Don't hate me. Just accept me at a low level." I am not worthy to be called your son. You can see him in this kind of like shame, rehearsing this story over and over as he's making a long journey home. Not worthy to be called your son. Not worthy to be called your son. And you see, you see how um, he has this this story about himself that he's not worthy to be called his father's son. That he has lost that right that he has done so poorly that he is no longer worthy to be called his father's son. And, and then yet, as, as the story goes, that, that gets basically thrown out the window. He's coming down the road, the father sees him, takes off running, goes to embrace him, kisses him, s- celebrates his return, tell, and, and, and the son just robotically starts this this shame-filled father i have sinned against heaven and you it's a thing that's been running through his head this whole time been sinned against heaven and you i'm no longer worthy to be called your son and he doesn't even get to the last part because the father says quickly bring out a robe the best one put it on him put a ring on his finger put sandals on his feet his worthiness has nothing to do with anything here he is his father's son 
he was lost and he is now found. And they're gonna, and, and, and not only that, it's not like he's just being taken in as like a servant. There's gonna be a party. That's what killed the fattened calf means. This is a time without refrigeration. A calf is still a pretty big animal. It's a fattened one, no less. And so the whole context of these was to most likely have like a sacrifice uh, to, to God to celebrate and then to eat the whole animal. And so you've got this whole cow you've got to eat within the space of a couple of days. The way that you do that is you throw a party. You invite everybody you know. Because this, you know, tick, 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 this meat's starting to go bad the moment you kill the, the, the calf. So you've got to do this. This is a party. This is there. And so just as, just as the son spent all he had, when you kill the calf, it's also a moment of spending that whole calf at that moment. You can't save it up. It's spent. It's a party. It's time to celebrate. Um, and so, again, the father here is, when, when you look at this from the, from the perspective of what a good father would have been in this culture, again, this father at this time, really, when the son came back, should have really given him, like, I hope you learned your lesson, or now it's finally time to like bring you up before the community and accuse you of being a drunkard and a fool and let's like take you outside the gate and stone you. This would be doing the absolute right thing according to our law. And he does nothing of the sort. He accepts him in. He doesn't, there's, there's no need to like kind of beg for forgiveness from the spot, from the father's perspective. There is no debt. There is nothing to pay back. There is no account of worthiness to, to, to even, to even begin to think about um, the worthiness is entirely conferred in the father's love for his son, which in this case looks nothing like what a patriarch should have been in this society. He's behaving in this undignified manner, running to his son, hugging him, covering him with kisses, celebrating. He's, in, in this context, he's acting more like you would expect a mother to act at the return of the son. And so the... One of, one, of the, one of the titles uh, that, that someone I read, he says, uh, per, perhaps you, you could call this the parable of the mother like father, because here this father isn't acting like the father is supposed to act in this, in this day and time. Um, some people also call it the parable of the forgiving father. Um, and so there's this extravagance in, in, in the love and affection of this God figure in this uh, in this uh, forgiving father, this motherly father, that is offensive. It's too much. This person is undeserving. This person is disgusting, and you love him or her. And that's how that's how the audience of the scribes and, and the and the Pharisees would have felt. This is too much. This person is like horrible. This is not the right way to act. This is disgraceful. And so that's the perspective of the good older son who has always done everything right, who has always been the good one. He became angry and refused to go in. And, and I think, you know, the way, the way that this parable gets talked about most of the time, we usually focus um, on the prodigal son, and it's kind of like a story of sort of like conversion and forgiveness and salvation that, you know, if you've gone off and been sinful, God will welcome you back in and forgive you and embrace you and throw a party for you, and that's a pretty good thing. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. 
but that doesn't tie into the fact that really the whole point of this story is building, and in terms of the audience, is building to the discussion of the older son. The older son who is um, very angry and upset at the extravagant uh, mercy of the father and goodness of the father to this undeserving wretch. And so he's so... And, and so I'm just, I, was, I was just trying to... I was just trying to um, get my head around like what would be some like analogs for us to put ourselves in the position of this older son where we would feel disgusted when something good is happening to somebody who doesn't deserve it, we feel. Um, you see a bit of this in like like sports fandom, I guess. Like if there's like there's usually a team that you like, but there's probably more like some teams you really hate, and if they win, that just makes you mad, right? So there's maybe like a lot of like Leafs haters or something like that, and when they do well, that's just, oh. So that's a bit of a trivial example. Um, let's imagine for a minute, um, this, this big thing in the news is these, uh, this young uh, uh, soccer team in Thailand who got trapped in that cave it's been all over the news. Some of you may may be following it, and it's very riveting. It's very uh, compelling. Uh, four were rescued today, which is wonderful. Uh, and here, it's easy to root for them because um, uh, you know they're young, they're innocent. You know, it's easy to root for like this is a massive like time and expenditure and attention going into this rescue operation. What if these people were gang members, or terrorists, or rapists? You know, the shit of the earth. What if they were that? How would we feel about all this stuff being done for them to rescue them? They were lost, and they're being found. That gets a little more like, I think, what we should feel a little more at the heart of here, of... should feel distasteful to us. Um, and I think we're most of the time much more like um, much more like the older brother. Where, where there's like a level of goodness to undeserving people that we just find disgusting. And I think I think especially as people who've done well in the world, who've done everything right, if you're if you find yourself in those kinds of positions um, I certainly have. Um, I think it's easy to have that kind of attitude that when good things happen to supposedly bad people, it's um, it's upsetting, and you and you build a lot of stories and narratives around that. Uh, where what is why don't good things happen to me? You, you you throw this party for him, and you don't for this crappy guy, and like I don't get anything. I don't even get. When he says you don't even sacrifice a goat, a goat is this stringy animal. It's not very full of meat. It would have been a pretty... You don't even throw me a crappy party and you throw him this huge one, is what the son's saying. He's so focused on his jealousy and his anger and his self-righteousness that that he loses sight of, of how much he's had this whole time. And the father, the father says, son, you're always with me. All that I have is yours. You, you don't actually, 
you're, you're not in want for anything. You don't need anything. But then when you see somebody else, a good thing happening to somebody else, immediately you feel like you've got to have it. And um, you've got to get in on it. You're, you're, you're so mad that this thing didn't happen to you. I see, I see stuff like this around maybe, maybe things like uh, what, what gets called affirmative action when somebody undeserving gets the job instead of somebody deserving. Maybe something like that. Uh, where you don't see that that supposedly undeserving person is like, oh, I lost, I lost a job to some, like, you know, minority, some, some person. I'm way more qualified. This is an injustice. Meanwhile, Meanwhile, the, the, the actual reality is, you know, you, you know, you started life on third base, perhaps. Everything has gone right for you up until this point, and this is actually no great loss to you. Whereas this represents something much more profound for, for the person who's the beneficiary of this. But we get so caught up, quite quickly, we, 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 we forget to see all that we have when we get jealous about seeing somebody getting something we feel like they don't deserve. We get angry, we get mad. We get to be like this older brother. And I think one of the, I think, the, 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 and so the, the parable ends open-ended. The parable ends really with a call to conversion to the older brother. The younger brother has already been converted. He has seen, he has seen the error of his ways. He has seen that, 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 that he done messed up. But the, the call to conversion is also there. It's an open call to the older brother. Come celebrate the goodness and the mercy of God. That it extends even to all of these marginal places where you don't think it belongs. That, that, there is li- that, that, the, that, that the being of God, when it was... When, when, when the younger son took from God, it didn't diminish the God in any way. There is, there is more than enough. There is a bounty. There is an abundance. There, there is always a surplus of love and mercy flowing from God, even to the people that we never think deserve it. And the invitation to us mostly, usually, sometimes being like the younger brother, but probably most of the time being like the older brother, believing that this is disgraceful that goodness should happen to these people. Um, the call to conversion here is to convert to say, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. To see that, that, that all that the source of all being God, in him we live and move and have our being, is, is another thing that Paul says, that we're already at the point of enough to begin with. There isn't actually anything more that we need. We have no need to be jealous of goodness happening to somebody else because the goodness has been happening to us also this whole time. All that I have is yours. And, and he's so blinded with jealousy and in, in this that he can't even see that. He can't even see how much that he has because he's so jealous about somebody who had something about the impropriety of this undeserving person receiving anything at all. 
And so the so the call is to see is 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 to repent of of our jealousies and repent of our blindness and and and, and the way that this makes us blind because and even the way that this distances us from the people we think are undeserving. There's just this little back and forth with the older brother and the fathers. The older brother says, this son of yours, not my brother. This son of yours. Like he's distancing himself. He's pushing himself away. Never, never recognizing that in the same process, he's pushing himself away. Who's standing outside the party? Who's standing outside of joy? It's, it's the older brother, the one who can't recognize all that he has, the one who is bitter. And the father says, my son, uh, apparently in the Greek, he, he says, it's like even a turn of endearment, my boy, all that I have is yours, I'm always with you. But it is good to celebrate your, your, your brother, not my son, your brother, and so it's, it's also a plea to be reconciled. It's also a plea for, for and, and, and there's really an illusion here too, because there's, there's all these stories in the Old Testament of brothers who get alienated from one another. The very first set of brothers, oh, what happens with Cain and Abel, the very first set of brothers? One seems to be favored by God and the other one gets jealous and kills him. So this is this story is a reversal, or at least an invitation to a reversal. Because maybe maybe the older brother here is in that exact same space of being so angry at the father's goodness to, to his brother that, that he'll murder him for it. Maybe he's at that level. It's, in, it's entirely possible. And so there's there would be this resonance, uh, Jacob and Esau, who were reconciled to each other. So this is this would be echoing in the ears all of all of the younger upstart brothers who God honors throughout the scriptures. It's actually a recurring theme. Um, and so this would have been echoing in their ears saying, oh there's there's a, there's a bigger story in play. The father and so this could this could also be called the parable of the father uh, pleading with his estranged sons to be reconciled to one another. And so this is also um, this is this is also a call to us all the time to never see um, to never see another one of God's children as not his children, as not our brothers and sisters, is is to, to see that we are actually connected to our enemies, to to the people we despise, to, to the people that we hate. That, that, that the father figure here is saying, no, come in and celebrate with the one that you're pushing away. Um, and so, yeah. part of this. They're, they're the wrong people, right? This is only for us. We are not going to share it, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
and that that all of these stories that we tell, right? Because the the thing is, the younger brother and the older brother, they're both telling themselves the wrong story about who the, who they are, and 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 the. And the father's radical mercy here is disrupting their stories about who they are in both cases. Uh, and so the, the call is for, for the strong and together older brother. And that's a, that's a call for us as like folks in this part of the world, pretty strong. Like we're like these older brothers. We're, we're the people who have it together. We're, we're, we're the people who don't, who have so much and yet don't always want to share, right? Um, and so, yeah, the, the immigrant thing is a very good analogy. Uh, that would have been a good one for me to think of. Thank you for sharing it. Um, yeah, so, so that's, those are some of the themes I wanted to draw out here. There's, there's lots of other cool stuff. This is a very um, deep parable. There's, like, some really fun stuff you can do, even drawing in much more of the, like, Hebrew scripture background that Jesus is drawing on here. I tried to bring in a little bit of that. There's a lot more. and But yet, at the same time, this story is just so readable and, and, and so clear in, in, in the mercy. But we, we just don't necessarily get the, the offensiveness of it, the way that this was like deeply disturbing to, to a lot of those listeners. So that's what I was also trying to get across. But um, I'll, I'll leave it there. And... Please, if you have more questions or comments, I'd love to talk about it a bit more. So it's like a simple but also deep. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There's layers for sure. of God as we see it is never like a coercive one. It's always a 
it's always an open, welcoming, recognizing, uh, changing your mind kind of move. But it's always, uh, it's up to you. If, if you're willing to um, change the way you see this, change the story that, that you're telling yourself about the situation. So, does that answer your question? Like it's, like it's open. Yeah, it's open. Yeah. I think the point is here, it's still open to us as well. Mm-hmm. I was uh, still thinking about the value of life. Without going too far, uh, here in the community there are people that are uh, not as urgent. I see a lot of things, and depending on how I feel, I'm feeling, I, I, I choose to see certain things. If I'm feeling really good about things, I'm also looking at the people that are, that are well-dressed, probably better off. Not very often I choose to really look at what is always there, which is people that are not as fortunate and you know, perhaps lost. shouldn't come here, right? They made the wrong decision to come here illegally, right, is the way that the the narrative gets spun. Yeah, and also I see that the sons are starting off at pretty much the same point. Yeah, well, except for one is the younger son, so that disadvantages him. Sure, sure. In terms of the inheritance. The same family, (laughs) it sounds like Mm -hmm. somewhat 
more affluent family, they have mm -hmm. animals and slaves and cat. <laughs> exactly, right? Mm -hmm. So there's not one individual who's um, significantly more privileged than the other. They're starting pretty close at they're, the same. They're both doing well. Mm -hmm. So the, the older son, you know, I, I think it's a beautiful message in the story as well that you know, God will help you no matter what you have done in your life. His arms are always open for you. Yeah. I get that. Um, but how do you kind of overcome the risk that, well, why do any of us, um, why, why would any of us make any effort to be disciplined, Work hard. Mm -hmm. uh, what does it matter? What does so, matter? so no, I'm just I'm wondering. I'm like I'm just playing the yeah, sound. Sure. I'm yeah. curious to hear your thoughts. Um, the the core the core of this story is that being uh, being a child of this father is not something to be worked for or earned. You can't work to lose it, and you can't work to gain it. It's just a given. It's there. All that I have is yours. It's 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 always there as like this constant base, baseline of, of the whole thing. And that's not really the way the world, the way the world of human relations works at all. You gotta you gotta earn things relationally with people all the time. And so this doesn't really. Uh, compute because you do, and so you got to work. You got to work at relationships uh, for sure um, to, to to make them work. Um, and so I'd say, um, I'd say, like, I mean, this is, this is just me riffing. It's a, it's a, it's a fine question. Um, I'd say that one of the one of the reasons to be disciplined and work hard is simply to expand your. Uh, capacity to be good to the people that are in your life and to expand the, your capacity to, to be good to those people and even to grow your capacity to be good to new people as well. Um, that, that you have this, you have an, an echo of this like massive reservoir of, of energy and life that you see in this father figure in this thing. And I think, I think that you can work harder to, to sort of like harness more of that so that you have more to give away just uh, as this uh, father figure here does. That's my sort of base thought. Mm -hmm. to, to imitate that. Because I mean, I got, I got a threshold and it is not very high. <laughs> but, I, but I believe that it could be a lot more. Yeah. Yep. Because on the other hand, brother could 
right? That, you know, we're not so different, he and I, but the story I'm telling myself makes me have to be that different. There has to be a huge separation between us for me to keep having the story that I'm telling myself about myself. Yeah, the story doesn't mention anything about the mothers or the wives, no. no. It doesn't say anything. Um, yeah, it is, it is very much the product of, uh, of a time where, uh, where, where, where women didn't get to be in stories as often as they should be. Because I bet you that's not going to be the first time that the guys are just going to stay on work and they're yeah. all going to multiply, right? Like this, this, this is just the process of ever, ever rebuilding the lockdowns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, instead of through some attempt to earn something you already have. dehumanize that person, yeah. put them at a distance. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's like somebody somebody that you have a broken relationship with, you usually won't use their name. Yeah. Pe- people who get divorced, they say, my ex, not the person's name, yeah. Yeah. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's normal. It's, a, it's like a subtle Yeah, it's so what we do to, to, to distance, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the other cool thing in the... Um, uh, that, that Henry Nouwen book is about uh, the Rembrandt painting, which is a beautiful painting of the, the return of the prodigal son. And um, one, one, of the, one of the cool things uh, that, that the book talks about, so I was talking about how the father is actually a very motherly father, right? It's, there's, a, there's a lot of femininity in the, in, in the way that the, the father behaves in the parable here. Also, uh, Rembrandt actually very much picks up on that in his painting. And if you if you look up the the, the returning the lost son is like on his knees, sort of with his cheek pressed into the father's uh, bosom, and uh, uh, and so the father has his uh, two hands on the son's back, 
And if you look at the hands, one of them is like a manly hand, and one of them is like a feminine hand. Yeah. So it's a. So Rembrandt definitely was picking up on this the the hybridity of of the father there, which is very interesting. Yeah. So look uh, look up that image and yeah, check it out. That's very neat. And how yeah. The, the, the other son is looking down. On yeah, and he's very moment. standing. Yeah, standing at a distance, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That I, I highly recommend that book from Henry Nouwen. Uh, excellent. I should read it again. Yeah, it's, almost it's been too long since I read it. That was just the one thing I could remember. I think uh, that, so, that sounds that right. probably gotten to all of us enough by now. Let's, uh, let's wrap this thing up. And um, yeah, so one of the one of the great pictures right in this parable is, and, and in many of Jesus' parables, is that the kingdom of heaven is like a feast. Uh, another one of the parables that's got good resonance here is there's uh, there's someone who wants to throw a feast and he sends out invitations to all these people. And they all say, no, I can't come. No, I'm too busy. No, I don't want to come to your feast. And so finally, the frustrated uh, person says, basically go and get all of the bad people. Get all the scum of the earth and bring them in here. And we're going to throw a proper party together. And so it's, again, this notion, this this flipping, this upside-downness of the kingdom. First shall be last, the last shall be first, and we're going to have a party where all the people who shouldn't belong together, who shouldn't be a part of the love of God, come and have a feast, a celebration, a party. Um, and so that's one of the reasons we do we do the, the, the Eucharist together, um, is that this is this is a, this symbolically is starting to participate in the feast of the kingdom, the feast of the kingdom that everyone is welcome at. That there is no person who is outside of the love of God. That all are welcome, and and that this is this is a symbol and a sign of that uh, feast of the kingdom already in in our midst. The fact that this room full of people who would have no other reason to be in this room with each other, that we come to the table together to celebrate. Uh, the love of God for us that doesn't really make any sense 